welcome to the Rabbit Trails podcast. I am one of your hosts, Barrett Harkins. On the other end of the line is Garrick Regner. Hello. Hey, man. Hola. Uh, listen, we we just realized this, we, this is now our, well, I guess this will be our eighth episode by the time this comes out, a whopping eight episodes. Garrick, when we get to 10 episodes, we're going to have to throw a... Uh, a, a, a big party, right? Because we, yes. we made it. We we we've defied the odds. It's pretty, yeah, it's pretty. <laughs> it's actually kind of fun. Yeah. Uh, so, but what I was thinking was, uh, we have failed to mention uh, normally at the beginning of this thing the name of the podcast, which is the Rabbit Trails Podcast. Which I did a Google search, and um, it's actually one of many some rendition of the Rabbit Trails Podcast. There's Rabbit Trail. There's Rabbit Trails. There's the Rabbit Trails Podcast. Um, Incidentally, we don't easily come up, so we're going to have to fix that. We're going to have to get uh, some kind of technical wonder out there to help us uh, with that. But as of right now, if someone searches Apple iTunes for the Rabbit Trails podcast, uh, you can find us. And if you find us, we would love it if you would leave us a five-star review. If you don't like us, uh, don't, don't worry about it. Just uh, hope you have a great day, and uh, <laughs> thanks for stopping by. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for coming in. Keep keep watching that. <laughs> no, actually, yeah. So we would we would love it if you could uh, spread the word a little bit. It's kind of a fun little thing we're doing, and uh, if you find if you, if it's uh, providing value to your life in uh, in missions or with Christ, because uh, that's our that's our goal. Um, so anyway, so now that we've gotten that out of the way, let the real fun stuff begin. Um, Let's do it. Garrick, it is, um, it's hard to, it's hard to go through life right now thinking that there is something not right in the world because it's beautiful outside, flowers are in bloom, uh, it just feels, everything feels right in the world as opposed to wrong, but uh, nonetheless, uh, things, things continue to uh, be as they are. Places are opening up, y'all are, y'all are opening up in Spain. Yeah, things are, things are looking better. Uh, you go outside now. Um, soon, restaurants will open up. You can go in, and well, you can't necessarily yet go in, but you can sit on the the terrace, which the terrace. outdoor seating in Spain is a huge, yeah. huge deal. You guys got great weather for them. Yes, we do. It's starting to get nice and warm, and and really pretty outside. Uh, so yeah, things things are looking good. I think there's hope. Yeah. Uh, what is um? Uh, there's a U2 song that says "Always Dark Before the Dawn." So mm. we've we've been through the dark. Hopefully. We're starting to see the dawn, and it's a lot of hope and and uh, in the for the future. There's there's a YouTube quote for nearly everything, isn't there? There is, there is. Thanks. Hey, have, have you ever seen uh, a couple of years ago, a few years back, when they released the, uh, I guess it was like thirty or whatever Joshua Tree album mm-hmm. anniversary it was, and they were kind of going on a tour, and they went on Jimmy Kimmel and uh, played. Uh, Still haven't found what I'm looking for. Yeah, with the choir. With the, have you have you seen that clip on YouTube? Yeah, yeah. So it's it's I I absolutely love it. I when I when I preach or teach, I love using um, clips of of music because I think mm-hmm, music yeah. stirs the soul and and part of preaching and everything is, is stirring the soul. But uh, and so I've used that one uh, often and uh, absolutely love it. But there is a scene or not a scene, but there's a there's a couple in the crowd that are just like you can tell they were just so excited to be there when you <laughs> two was there. And then the yeah. fact that like oh my gosh, they're singing live and it's this interactive thing. And so Bono kind of comes up to him and he gets kind of close and 
but then he kind of turns and he's singing to the camera and stuff. And you can kind of see him. And I, I wish this is where this wasn't, this was like a, a video podcast, but like the, the, the guy and the girl are kind of clapping, you know, really into it. And they kind of lean forward to kind of touch Bono and uh-huh. halfway there, they're like, I, I can't touch Bono on live television. And so they kind of pull back and they're just awkwardly trying to figure out what to do. <laughs> <It's because laughs> I'll, I'll send you the link. It's, it's yeah. awesome. Every time I watch it, it's, uh, I have a friend actually who, who met Bono in the Edge in the Nairobi airport. No way. Yeah, they were they were Lucky there. right there. Yeah, I know. He was on a trip. They're going to Uganda to. Um, he was, he was uh, the campus pastor at our at our home church in Dallas, and he was going to Uganda to uh, to check out a project that was working with former child soldiers. And so they were flying through Nairobi, and so they're getting ready on their flight, and there's someone comes and goes. I just saw. The Edge and Bono and their families, and they walked into the VIP lounge, and they all ran over there hoping they would, you know, maybe they'd catch a glimpse. But then one, I think one of the guys said, "I'm never gonna get this chance again." So he just goes into the VIP lounge, and they walk, you know, kind of were able to have a strike up a conversation, and so just really nice guys, and had a great conversation. Took pictures with them, and wow. uh, they were really, uh, really, really encouraging, really friendly, and uh, made a lot of jokes. Uh, with them but um they, they only got talked to for like five minutes because their, their their plane was literally getting ready to leave so uh, yeah so. you know the the um <clears throat> bono really was impacted by um eugene peterson's work yeah and the message and they actually had their, there's that video on mm-hmm. youtube of them meeting together and talking about the psalms and different stuff and i always had this secret not secret i mean i've i i I micro blogged about it on Facebook one time. Uh, but, uh, but I, I always hoped that somehow Bono would co- work with, uh, collaborate with Eugene Peterson on a Psalms album. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Cause I just thought that that would have been, you know, to have Eugene Peterson who had such cool insights into how to say it, but then Bono who also, you know, had these insights, I think, man, it would have just been, would have been awesome, but never happened. Eugene yeah, Peterson there's passed. a there's a rumored, uh, you know, they were working on an album at one point called Songs of Ascent, which obviously would have been yeah very right. biblically tied into uh, Psalms, but uh, it was kind of at a time when they were working on three or four projects, and I don't think that one really came to fruition. Uh, oh, that's a, but, that's but, a bit of a bummer. That would have been yeah, awesome. but maybe there's some songs back there that'll come out someday. You know, they always like to release those bootlegs with all the unrecorded songs right. or un- the unfinished. Unfin- or yeah, yeah. So yeah, someday, yeah. you know. There's actually a, a song with Marcus Mumford uh, on the uh, Bob Dylan basement sessions. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, really? Basement tapes. Yeah, they found these yeah. basement tapes of Bob Dylan's or whatever that he had recorded, you know, because the guy's recorded oh, millions of songs or whatever. Yeah. And he just kind of throws them away because he doesn't like it or whatever. But uh, they decided that they were going to have other people record them. And actually Johnny Depp plays on, um, uh-huh. plays on the song, but there's a song Kansas city that uh, Marcus Mumford oh. recorded with on this album. It's a fantastic song. I love it, but I'm a huge Marcus Mumford and Mumford and Sons fan. Yeah. yeah well, there's two, you know, so we've been talking about, I know we, I know we have a topic for the day, but we, maybe we can go down this rabbit trail for a second, but this about is the rabbit trail Christ- podcast, leave Christi- us a five star review. <laughs> Christianity in, uh, in in Europe, we've been talking about, and this, so right there, you have Mumf- Marcus Mumford and you two, two people uh, who a lot of people would go, oh, they're they're, they're not Christians, but who actually are very yeah. serious yeah. Christians. Marcus Mumford, of course, his parents were at one point the uh, the directors of Vineyard UK, uh, right. the entire mm-hmm. denomination, and of course uh, Bono and 
their that group they were came out of a evangelical kind of Pentecostal background um, but uh but but fascinating that even in um, you know in a time of great secularity you still have some you know in some people who are making so I would say you know, in, in many ways Christian art or art that reflects a lot of Christian values uh, and it's high quality too it's not yeah right it's not typical kind of well, well, you know, I think disproportionately you tend to find, um, like someone was talking about one time, and I don't know if this is a true statistic or not. Sometimes I speak so authoritatively on things and I got no clue. Um, that's how you get a podcast, right? That's like, No, actually these days you just, <laughs> you just start a podcast. But, it's lies, damn lies and statistics. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So do you have, I may, that reminds me of another story. So my, my brother, his father-in-law, so his wife's uh, stepdad, is a very well-known statistician at a university on the uh, East Coast. I probably shouldn't name it, so then people would track it down. And he may not like that I said this, but he is often fond of saying there are lies, damned lies, and then there's statistics. Yeah. And he teaches statistics, he right? Statistics, so he, yeah. you know, he has that that view. But anyway, um, where where was I going? I totally. We're talking about you two and. Marcus. Oh yeah, yeah. So, so someone once said though that that the the proportion, the number of participants who did really well, so not necessarily won, but did very well in shows like American Idol, often have some kind of church background because yeah. if you have talent, churches are always in need of putting someone up on stage, and so you you. I'm not saying that necessarily these people are aren't believers, but that they grew up in the church. Um, and by virtue of being in the church, also got opportunity to sing and, and you know, hone their craft a little bit. Um, and I think, I, th I, I think you probably have in the arts, specifically in song, you probably have a disproportionate number of believers in it or people who grew up in the church yeah. um, proportionate to the rest of everybody else. Like, yeah. if, so if we're, you know, 3% evangelical Christian, you know, even in Sweden, one of the one of the most well-known artists of the last 25 years is a very well-known Christian. So that's a, uh, I think it just, it just happens. I mean, y'all in Agape Spain uh, used to have, I don't know if they're still on staff, but there was a, the, what is a rap yeah, practice, group or yeah. hip hop, hip hop group that was you know, you. really well-known, uh, very professional and uh, yeah, they're not on staff anymore, but um, still okay. connected, still, yeah. still producing music and yeah. And uh, so, but you're right. They they were both all pastor kids. Uh, yeah. Um, with a love for hip hop, yeah. but they they also studied at a conservatory, and so so yeah, that's a, that's a very interesting. Um, I think I think that would be interesting to look at. What so I saw an article the other day that was also fascinating. It was on Gospel Coalition about like ten um, Christian composers, like classical music. Composers. Oh, interesting. That are that are that are Christians, and huh. uh, you know, and, and it was fascinating because I, I, I do not really spend much time in the world of classical music. Um, ooh, ooh, ooh. Towns Van Zant is classical, right? <laughs> well, classic. <laughs> classic. There's a difference. Okay. <laughs> yes. Uh, um, one of the greatest songwriters ever. Uh, but um, but but the, the the number of composers, and particularly European composers, which was I found fascinating. Yeah. Uh, even a guy, a guy Arvo Part who's a uh, Estonian. He's quite old now. He's in his eighties, but he, and he was a very famous, uh, uh, apparently, uh, classical composer did soundtracks also for stuff. Really? Um, yeah, but, uh, but fascinating. 
Uh, one of one of the, a very well-known artist in Estonia is a very strong Christian. Um, actually, one of his paintings is uh, hanging up. He did a portrait for my my, my mother-in-law of my oh, niece. Wow. Uh, he had uh, my wife's aunt here in Sweden um, started doing some work with uh, different organizations in Estonia and helping uh, young kids and disadvantaged kids in Estonia. And, and through that, got to know this guy, Apo Puk. And, um, and of course, in Estonia, it's a really small community. Yeah. But uh, anyway, and so he ended up in the U.S. and he, through the connections, because my, my, my mother-in-law is Swedish and the Swedish community is kind of one of these things, especially back in the day, it's less so now, but like when you were traveling to Los Angeles and you just kind of put feelers out of like, Hey, do you know of anyone who lives in Los Angeles? And they, and my mother-in-law is a very social person. And so she, she knows a lot of people. And so they'd always be like, yeah, you should, you should call up Anne Marie Vance. Well, so people wouldn't just call her up before they left. Sometimes they would just like come by the house. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> They'd be like, can we stay? <laughs> They're yeah. sure. And so she had all these people. So anyway, so it was kind of one of those deals. She had them over and uh, he ended up painting a portrait of uh, my niece and it's hanging, oh, up, that's so uh, cool. hanging up in her, uh, her living room. So, and this guy's done uh, royalty in Europe and just different stuff. Yeah. So it's kind of cool deal. I think it's, you know, when, when, when growing up in maybe an evangelical context, we were always kind of, I think maybe this may be unfair, but uh, we were kind of taught that, well, there, there really aren't any Christians in the arts. Yeah. Uh, and the reality was, no, there's a lot, actually. There's a lot yeah. of people who follow Jesus who make great, when I say art, I mean great art, like art that right. is considered, uh, you know. It because stands we, alone I, on its own, not yeah. like, um, what, what's a, what is it, Fireproof that showed, uh, like, yeah. not like Christian production companies. Yeah, yeah. Which not aren't, that there's, there's anything nothing, wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with it, but let's just be honest. That's not, you know, it's it's not it's not going to maybe, yeah. Okay, we'll say that. we'll leave it at that for now. It's the difference um, between Dickie's barbecue and Franklin barbecue. Right? Yeah, there you it's go. Just, there you know, go. just yeah. different, they're different both, quality. They're, well, they're, they're both barbecue. they're both useful. They're both useful, <laughs> uh, and they have they just have different you know kind of situations. So I, I think it's just fascinating because you know uh, we I think and we also we carry that dynamic or dialectic of the Christian art, Christian music, and then there's everything else. Right. And, right. I, and I think what now we're living in a world where I think we we, we got many many people. Uh, who are saying no, 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 good art is Christian art, or if it's done from a perspective, you know, or, or maybe that the signifier isn't important. It's not right. Right. You know, good art is good art, and the person who creates it is, you know, their influence is in it. But if they're Christian, they're Christian. Yeah. If they're not, then it can still be good art. Switch Switchfoot is kind of like that, you know, yeah, like yeah. they they were one of those Christian artists that um, they're just they're just good music. Now they're not headlining major major things. I mean, they're still a you know, but, but they are considered a, at least decent yeah. practitioners of art. Yeah. Well, so let's, let's turn and finish here and then we'll move on to the, the topic. I think, um, cause people are going, where are you guys going with this? We're going on a rabbit trail, but you know, you <laughs> too, <to> podcast. <laughs> you too are, are some of the only people in the world who can get 80,000 people to sing amazing grace together. No kidding. Right. You know, or hallelujah choruses. And so that, that's something, something's going on in, in, in that kind of context. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're actually, we're actually not going to end there because your, your mention of um, getting 80,000 people to sing, uh, amazing grace. So I, uh, we, we will come a little bit full circle here with okay. Marcus Mumford. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. 
so one of the things that we're doing on Sundays now is we're taking our kids through uh, Phil Vischer's What's in the Bible series. Yeah. Kind of educating our kids about the Bible. And it's just really good. And they're loving it. And so every Sunday we, we, take, a, we take a book of the Bible or uh, one of the CDs that we have and we go through it and then we kind of talk about it. And then we sing some songs together, but none of us are music. My wife and I are not musically inclined, so we can't hold a tune or play an instrument. And, uh, and so we put on, you know, some kind of song that we want. So we asked the kids, what do you want to listen to? And uh, so we put on Amazing Grace the other day and um, it got me to thinking, I want my kids not just to see here like the, I think we did, I think we might've done Chris Tomlin's version, which is the version they're most familiar with, but I wanted them to hear the, the more real version. Yeah. The hymn. And uh, yeah, yeah. And so, uh, so I, so I remembered that on YouTube, there is a uh, Marcus Mumford of Mumford and, Mumford and Sons is at a festival, Bonnaroo Festival, which is more a folk song festival in Tennessee. And uh, he gets up, uh, good night. He got up a Edward Sharp and the, uh, I forget the, the name oh, of his yeah. name. Uh, and the Magnetic Zeros. That's it, that's uh, it. He gets up, um, he gets up, uh, what is the other name of the band? Uh, they sing, uh, oh, wow, I'm just blanking on it. Anyway, a bunch of different bands up there. He's got like four or five different bands up there. And they all do Amazing Grace together. And, you know, I'm guessing most of these guys were not believers. But by the leading of Marcus Mumford, and it was cool because they kept showing the crowd and you've got all these people who are like having fun and they're going up, but occasionally they would come across and in the crowd, you could see someone just weeping. Yeah. And it was like, you know, like he, it was neat to see that, that they were, that they were doing that. So anyway, there, really there's cool. your full, there's your full circle. They're full circle. Young people at a Bonnaroo festival crying to uh, Amazing Grace. Yeah. And speaking of young people, <laughs> What brings us to our topic today? Uh, so, okay, so you and I have spent the majority of our adult life uh, on the mission field in some way yeah, or another. That's crazy, uh, yep. or at least almost two decades each. Um, so, and we were talking the other day, and I don't remember how it came up, but this idea of that what does it what does it take to be successful on the missions field? Now, depending upon the day, I. Uh, I will feel successful or not successful. That is, yeah. that is always a relative term uh, to me. But I uh, thought it could be fun today to talk about uh, things that we've learned in order to be successful in the missions field uh, or subtitling. We could subtitle this talk, uh, Young and Stupid to Adding Value. Adding Value, yeah. Because uh, when, when we were first on the mission field, let's be honest, we may have thought we were successful, but we were just young and stupid. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and I think if I can precursor the, this thing, I would say uh, success is kind of relative in this, in ministry, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and, and what, what success ultimately is, is faithfulness, right? Right. Faithfulness. But then you actually do have to prepare yourself. You actually do have to know what you're doing and you have to do the hard work, right? Yeah. But the yeah. hard work doesn't get, doesn't, you know, we're not, we're not dependent on the hard work. The hard work is part of the journey. If we can slide it back into pilgrimage, we all know we're getting to uh, Santiago. We all know God's good, but we still got to get up and, and, and walk and trust him. And so, I, you know, um, cause I, I feel like success could be a little bit of a misnomer, right? Like, oh, yeah. You know, yeah. Like, cause I, I, I'm like with you, I, many days and many years, I have not felt necessarily successful. Yeah. 
but now I can look back and go, okay, but that was all part of the, that was all part of the, the story. Yeah. What is it? What is it? Mike Schatzman's always, is it Schatzman who always says that you can, you won't get, you won't feel like you get much done in a year and you'll get more than you ever thought possible done in five years. Yeah. Uh, just kind of that perspective of looking back. And I, I, I would say that that's true of my time in, in Sweden, but also anywhere I've been is that looking back at the time, it felt like nothing was happening. Um, yeah. And, and what I would say is I, I'm talking about the faithfulness of God being evidenced yeah. at yeah. the moment. It rarely feels like God is like something is going on, like that God is, God is moving or producing or whatever. And looking back, I see evidence of his hand all along. Yeah. Basically, really what we should do at this point is we should read footprints and then we yeah, should I was the thinking podcast. the exact same thing. <laughs> same thing. Well, there, there, there's several like jokes off of that on footprints. Oh, man. Oh, there was, there was the one on Arrested Development where Steve Holt, his, his campaign video was, it was two footprints in the sand. He goes, you may wonder why there's two footprints in the sand. Well, it was because our first take was horrible. So I had to go back and do it again. But that's, and then, then he goes into the, but he makes a good point there. Right. But, but you know, you got to pers- you got to persevere. Even when you make mistakes, you got to keep going. So, but it's, you know, it's, 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 uh, you know, that's awesome. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, we should do it. We, we should just talk about arrested development. Arrested development one time. Such a, yeah. such a great show. Yeah. So, so I think I, you know, interesting. I just finished, uh, yesterday, I just finished my degree at Dallas seminary. Congratulations. And, uh, it felt so good. I uh, did not expect, I was a little bit taken back by how good it felt, but anyway, done with that for a while. We'll see if we eventually do a doctorate or something. Um, if I got it in me, I'm not sure I do. But uh, I'll say this, we closed up my last class with uh, hearing from three different pastors um, in very different contexts uh, and uh, talk about leadership. So I was taking a leadership course and finishing that up. And and, uh, each one of them got about an hour, hour and a half each. And uh, they talked on leadership. And um, one of each one of them had incredible things to say, the wisdom, you know, I think the person who had been in ministry the least was 27 years or something. So people who have been faithful and endured. The first two though came from very large churches uh, in the Dallas area. So very large in the Dallas area, we're talking 2,500, 3,000 people. And um, they talked about their success and oftentimes they might, they were talking about numbers. So we increased our budget. We saw this many baptisms or we saw this thing or that thing. And I don't necessarily think there's anything wrong with that. They're, they're definitely a success. The last guy who came up, um, I think very, very successful person in his life had done business things, had done different things, but he was a pastor of a church of 900 people. Now 900 people is a lot of people, Uh, but by Dallas standards, it's a medium sized church. And um, I tell you what, his wisdom might've just been his personality. I don't know, but I think it might have something to do with um, the value that he was experiencing or that he was creating in a context of 900 when everywhere around you considers mega church to be success, the wisdom that he was given us was just solid gold. And it yeah. was, it was so different. It wasn't a, you know, did you hit your metrics or whatever else it was, you know, every story he would tell was this is how someone came to know Christ more. And, uh, and so that's when we talk about value or we talk about success or whatever, uh, I think that's that to me, 
at least that's what I want to be my marker. I confess that I struggle with, um, if I'm honest, I struggle with when I picture in my head what success is, I struggle with it thinking it's, it's a certain number of people. It's a, a Billy Graham rally or a mega church or whatever else like that. You know, I have the vanity. Uh, <laughs> I have a case of the vanities. And, and so I have to really fight that. Um, yeah. But yeah. as I've, as I've looked back over what it means to be successful as a missionary, uh, I do think that it really does mean, are you remaining faithful? And I think I th- we will get, I'll, we'll talk about this more, I think, cause I think it'll come up, but I think we're going to all be surprised when we're standing before the Lord and he's rewarding those and the missionaries that no one or the faithful moms and dads that no one knew about are the ones that he says, y'all yeah. look at, look at this person. Yeah. This, they remained faithful. And it might even be a few people that the world judged as drunkards or, you know, people who couldn't hack it or whatever else. But when no one was looking, they were, they were fighting a good fight. Um, so I think uh, just as frame of reference, at least that's how I'm convinced. That's what success means. But yeah, the first, the first will be last and the last will be first. It's a yeah. very radical. And I think we have to take that very seriously. I think, you know, um, I think this is, this maybe is a, it's acute on one hand when you're starting out and probably, this is probably true for any business or any, um, uh, ministry. I mean, there's, there's the outliers, right? The, the guys, there's the, oh, the guy who started Facebook, right? What's his name? Yeah. Zuckerberg, Zuckerberg, <laughs> right? You. He's an outlier, right? <laughs> yeah. He, he and Carver hit, hit a home run that turned into this, you know, huge thing, Jeff Bezos. Although I bet if you talk to both of them, they would say a lot of hard work and a lot of patience and a lot of sticking to what you're, you know, you're yeah, going over, over many years. But but they those are guys who very quickly climb to the pinnacle of success, and so you see that in ministry too. You see some people who pop out and bam, bam. It's I think as a natural tendency as humans, when number one, that's what we want. But also mm-hmm. I think we're living in a society now that demands, uh, you know, immediate success, immediate results, um, and I. You know, it's one of those things where I think in ministry, but particularly in being a missionary, being a cross-cultural worker, there's a steeper, steeper, you know, there's a learning curve in anything. I mean, right. most of the guys who are really good at sales, they didn't do that at 23, 24. Some of them probably weren't even allowed to do sales, you know, until they worked. Totally. You know, so I, th- I think sometimes we forget that you, ha- because we're, in, we're anxious, we're, we're in a hurry. And, and that, part of that's good, but part of that can be really dangerous because then, you know, you can jump out of something before you should yeah. and, 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 and then you miss like there were so many times we wanted to jump out you know early and we said well it seems like God's saying we should stick around because this is happening or there's this guy we can't, we can't abandon this guy yet you know, see well, so, so when, when were those times when you say that you know when were those times are there specific things you think back to um, yeah certainly I'll, I'll just run re- reference real quick Mike Schatzman who wrote a short little article called Mission is Hard mm-hmm. um you know, which I think is key that this is hard. It's hard stuff, but there were, there were times, you know, the first couple of years where you're just like, things are not going well, especially when you move overseas with, with, with a kid and, or, and then start growing that family and you're trying to figure out how, where do I go to the doctor? And then there's all the other stuff going on and you have bad days where you, you just say the wrong things and do the wrong things, or you don't even understand 
but you know things have gone bad because you did something. Um, you know, you have to grow in that capacity. But so there's there were definitely lots of times where you're like, maybe, maybe we should we should call today. And, yeah. and, and to be fair, there are times when you should call today. So you know. You sure. That. Yeah. There's people who've left the field who it was a, it was a good decision. So good decision. just sticking it out isn't always a yeah. true success. Yeah. Um, and, that's, and you need a community to help you think through those things. Right. You need people who can, uh, you know, talk you through and not, not be out on your own uh, because it can be a very isolating experience. And so, but, but when you work through those and I think you do the right things and even, uh, you know, you have the opportunity to look back and see, see where God, did work and, and, and what was going on. Yeah. I, I tell you what, um, I remember living in central Asia and, um, one that, that God would use, um, I idiots such as myself. I remember times that we would, uh, we thought we were, we were being so successful, right? So we, uh, we got it in our head. Our team got it in our head of like, Hey, you know, here's just this like a uh, real hip, cool kind of hamburger joint that, you know, we all love going to or whatever. Let's just treat our, you know, we had about 25 students that were really engaged with us that were kind of a core group or whatever. So you know, let's just treat these students to this really cool place to eat. You know, they never get to go here. It's going to be so much fun, everything else. And so we treat all these uh, Central Asian students to this, not realizing that basically what we had done, was we had, we had just insulted every single one of them with basically saying, you guys can't afford anything and we can, and yeah. we're gonna, <laughs> or the time that my yeah. Central Asian friend came to the door and I had invited him over for, for dinner and uh, he came to the door and he said, uh, I, I said, hey man, glad you're here. Are you hungry? I made some food and he goes, nope, not hungry. I was like, what do you mean you're not hungry? And he's like, I'm, I'm not hungry. I already ate. Oh, okay. Well, do you, do you mind if I eat? And then we sit down and he ends up eating. And I was like, well, you don't have to eat if you're not hungry. No, 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 I'll, I'll eat. I'll eat. So years later, a couple years later, I asked him, I said, hey, man, what was that about? Yeah. And he said, well, Barry, I'm going to be honest with you. In my culture, if you're hungry, there's a lot of people who are hungry. But it's yeah. not because they haven't eaten or they just didn't get around to eating. It's because they didn't have the food yeah. or the money. And when you ask, are you hungry? In my mind, what you're asking me is, are you poor? Yeah. And so I have to say, no, I'm not hungry because I, if I admit I'm hungry, it admits that I, I, I don't have any food. Yeah. And, uh, and so I think there are all those lessons. So one of the things that I think it takes to be successful in a cross-cultural situation is just, just, a willingness to observe and yeah. to recognize and to ask questions, uh, to make mistakes. Um, I think I have made more mistakes in, in my days. And I'm not just talking about big mistakes. You know, when people talk about mistakes, it's kind of like, you know, I don't know. I, I invested in an Atari last week, you know, like that's a mistake, <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah. but actually they're probably on their way up again. I'm going to get, someone's going <laughs> to actually Barrett, you know, the ROI on Atari is pretty high. Uh, but you know, but okay, that's a mistake. No, I'm, I'm talking about things which are, I think they have the potential. So you, you constantly run this risk in, in being a, a missionary of just being slightly offensive enough as to be off putting yeah. and, and you're, you're undoing any trust that you, you, you could have done. Um, you know, like, so, so when you kind of refuse to, 
you know, my name is Barrett and um, people would mispronounce my name all the time. And at one point, someone called me Bird. So it went from batted, 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 booted, booted, bird. <laughs> it just became Bird. And, uh, and, you know, I just kind of had to embrace it because it's like, you know, you don't want to be that person that's like, my name is Barrett, you know? Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's Samantha, not Samantha. <laughs> you know, it's just like, it's, yeah. those, aren't, those aren't good ideas. But you, you constantly run that risk of being just offensive enough uh, to to undo the message that you're trying to trying to say or yeah. trying to communicate. Um, and so I, I think one of the lessons I think that, that I've learned that, that it takes is you, you have to be willing to gently walk a line. My, my defense of my country or my country's politics yeah. is not, is not the first important, most important yeah. thing. Yeah. It's well, I mean, it's, it's the, it's the concept of the incarnation, right? That, Mm-hmm. love came down in human form yep. to communi- communicate, you know, Jesus to, to communicate God's love for us in human form. And that took a, a amazing amount of um, humility. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when we go into another culture and we try to, we're trying to take on that culture. Number one, it, 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 amazing amount of humility uh, to be a learner, to, to just to really work hard at understanding the culture and understanding that, Hey, this is different. Um, you know, all, all those things are, you know, learn the language, learn the culture. And, you know, and that take, took time. It takes time for us. It, and for God, I guess it was a lot easier, but for us, it does take time. Although it, for Jesus, I know, it was, I think, painful. I it was think, painful. It was yeah, painful. Well, I mean, he, so, so interestingly enough, he had to learn how to read and write. Uh, yeah, if he did, I, I, I assume he knew how to read and write, but I don't, maybe he didn't. Maybe he, he well, no, he could read the, he could read the, uh, yeah, he could read the Torah. So he, Torah. So yeah. So, but, but I mean, he had to learn obedience, right? That's what Philippians tells us. He, he had yeah. to learn obedience um, in the same way we did. Yeah. So, so I think that there is struggle there. And I think that's part of, I think being successful, being faithful in part requires that we become incarnational. It doesn't, it doesn't necessarily mean that in all cases we um, let's say put on a loincloth. Um, yeah, yeah. But it, but it can mean that, but it does mean what I think the, re- the wrestling that we always have to do um, is what parts of kind of my expression of who I am are cultural and what mm-hmm. parts are, let's say, kingdom or gospel. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and even within that, what parts can bend and flex a little bit, you know, because yeah. um, I think that there's, there's room to flex even within a, a let's say, a Christian uh, Christian message. So I'm not going to, sure. I'm never going to bend and flex on the Trinity and Jesus is the only way to God. Uh, but I may, I may flex on forms of worship, uh, yeah. timing of baptisms, um, and different, different things of that nature. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know if you, if you have, a, if, if anything comes to mind, I'm, I'm dropping this on you. We didn't talk about it before, but are there areas in which or let me, let me say this. Sometimes I think it's easy to be a learner when you're first arrive in a place, yeah. right? So, cause everything's new. So you're just trying to, I think one of the di- most dangerous places I feel in the last few years is things have become old hat to me. Yeah. And You've so got com- competency. Is basically yeah. Yeah. Competency can be competent. a real enemy. Yeah. Um, and so I think sometimes here in, in, in my current context, uh, I can just assume I know 
how everything's going to go, or I know yeah. why someone's doing something. And I stop asking those questions that have been so helpful. Yeah. Well, that's, that's the, the turn from humility to, to begin to have pride. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like, it's probably a huge uh, motif of many movies, right? You see, they got the young uh, idealistic person who starts out and over time builds up what they want and feels good about things and becomes very prideful and arrogant and then their fall. So, you know, that, that's a pretty standard human story. I think there might some stuff that might be in the Bible as well. Um, <laughs> I uh, kind of wish I could maybe. still blame it on being young. I'm Spoken not young around. anymore. Though, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so we, we, you know, we, we've got the danger of, you know, maybe people look to us and think, you, you, you know, we're, we're kind of fit in now. But, but if I, I agree, we have to be really careful to keep a, to keep that humility, that sense of incarnation, uh, you know, of following Jesus in that. Um, Cause you're right. It can become, I know what I'm talking about and that's not, that's not a good place to be because it's good to be competent, but it's not good that that competence would create a, you know, lack of growth and a lack of humility and a lack of ability to learn new things. So, so I think it's a real danger. I can, I've sensed that sometimes in my own life as well. Yeah. Do, you, do you have things that you're, I mean, I'm not asking for, you know, your perfect rundown, but do you have things that you do to kind of check yourself or to put in practice to make sure like questions you ask yourself or routines you do to kind of make sure, okay, I'm, I'm keeping myself fresh in regards to, seeing things through proper eyes or, or different things like that? Yeah. I mean, I have, I, th- I think it's, um, it's community is a big part of it being, mm. being a part of a community of people who you, you can really trust and who, who will give you good feedback. Um, you know, sometimes as a leader, that's hard because, you know, will people give you really good feedback? Um, uh, so, so I th- having a wife is really good for that. Um, <laughs> Um, and then I, th- you know, one thing I would kind of, I haven't been as good about it recently, but having like a spiritual director or some, mm. someone who can kind of sometimes walk you through things yeah. spiritually, um, yeah. I think is a good thing. Um, so, so we, we do, we do some things on our, on teams that we've led, uh, and that have been passed on to other teams in our country, but always asking the question, what'd you learn about yourself? What'd you learn about God? And what have you learned about your context that you're in? Yeah. Um, and, um, so usually we would say, you know, when we only had Americans on our team, we would say, what'd you learn about Swedes? But now we're saying the context you're in because we have, oh gosh, we have Swiss, we have Swedish, we have, um, you know, we have Swedes who have Russian origin and yeah, Russian origin, but, you know, married to a, anyway, well, I mean, it, gets, yeah, yeah. it gets really complicated. And so I think asking, constantly asking those questions of, okay, uh, I have a good friend who's who's on staff with us here, uh, Michael Metatol, and he's the best question asker. Yeah, he is. He 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 just is so curious, and half the time he'll he'll text me throughout the day or whatever, and I'd be like, "Hey, why do you think this?" He'll text me a picture, and he he's always asking why, and I've never seen someone so. Um, I mean, he is insatiable when it comes he to is. asking why. Yeah, and and I think I think that asking why um, he has been one of the most successful people in, in, in a cross-cultural context that I've ever seen of, of beginning to understand a matter. Uh, and I think that, that, you know, from young and if, if we want to talk about from young and stupid to adding value, um, I think one of the things that probably changed in me somewhere along the way was I realized one, 
um, the missionary endeavor did in this country or in this context did not start with me. So I've entered, I've entered, let's call it the pilgrimage or let's call it the journey at a certain point and I'll exit at some point, but in that exit may come with the Lord's return or it may come, you know, later on down the road. But it, because it didn't begin with me and it didn't end with me, therefore I've got to ask myself in order, in order to orient myself, where am I along this journey? So, you know, in, in, in Central Asia, part of that journey was, um, you know, okay, Muslim context, but it's a former Soviet Republic. Yeah. And, and how does that form someone's response to the gospel? How does it form someone's response to all of these things? And then to realize, well, wait a second, there's been, you know, as I started to meet believers and our staff there who had remained faithful and who were, who were seeing things. You know, so there's always this context that one has to learn and ask questions about. So for, for me, um, so recently I've, I've picked up a, a book on, on Swedish church history. Mm-hmm. Uh, which kind of seems like a stupid move to me uh, because I've been here 13 years and I'm just now getting around to that, but um, so be it. But getting to, getting to enter in and stuff like that for me, I'm a, I'm a context context is really high on my, on my mm-hmm. strengths finders. And so I just enjoy context immensely. So some of those things, um, but I hadn't thought of, you know, I hadn't thought of, the idea of having a spiritual director enter into that. Are there spiritual directors in Spain that you have access to or? Um, yeah, we have a guy on staff named Rex Wynn who he really? actually got um, certified, oh, okay. I believe. Really? By um, Gordon Conwell. Did he go to Gordon Conwell? I think he went to Gordon Conwell. I can't remember exactly, but they had like kind of a spiritual formation, like a lay track that you could do. So he did okay. like three or four experiences in the States and, it's he's done it he's 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 learned a lot it's been it's like a whole because it's you know some of the spiritual direction stuff is coming out some in the catholic world too um it's not it's something that i think it's a little bit new i mean i think we've been kind of doing it as protestant evangelicals but the 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 intentionality of it i think most of that comes out of kind of catholicism you know Mm. so now it's been adopted by much of the evangelical Protestant. right yeah it was big it's been big in mainline yeah. Uh, mainline denominations for a very long time, yeah. but finally yeah. evangelicals are waking up to, Oh, maybe there's value here. Yeah. Having someone, yeah. Just help you. Hmm. So, so yeah. So Rex is the only one I know uh, in Aga Bay, but I'm sure I, there's gotta be other people in crew. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. I know there's other people in crew. I just always wonder yeah. here in our European context, what we, yeah. or even just outside of, um, I don't think the idea of a spiritual director has hit, Sweden very hard yet, but I'm, I don't always have my finger fully on the pulse of things. Yeah. There may be parts and stuff that, that do have that, but I think that there, there's true value to be, to be had there. Yeah. But, but I think you, you bring up a really good point there about learning. I think you have to always be, be learning something or learning and growing and, and realizing that, I mean, it's, it's a one thing you, you kind of live in this world where you're kind of always on your back foot a little, Mm-hmm. Even even as you feel more comfortable in the culture and speaking the language and doing work and ministry in that context, you, you're still not 100% uh, at your capacity. I mean, some people might be able to get there, but I've, I've, I still haven't gotten there. Um, no, I, feel like, I feel, still feel stretched or sometimes confused. Uh, I mean, I feel confused a lot, but... <laughs> <laughs> that's more of a personal but problem. That's a personal <laughs> issue. It's a personal issue. 
but in, within the cultural, so, you know, so I think you're right. You just, you got to go in with a leader learning attitude, a humble attitude. And, and I think maintaining that as long as possible is, um, is what's, is really what, one of the things that's going to help, uh, you know, I, I, th I think a word I would pull out, cause I, and I think we were talking about two words that pull out are perseverance and patience. I think we were kind of touching yeah. on this, you know, yeah. you got to stick with it. Things are going to fail. Things are going to go bad you got to really ask the question, okay, is this where God has me right now? You know, and then you, you do have to have patience because you can't learn a new language. You can't learn the whole thing of the culture. It's, it takes time. You got to experience, you got to, you have to have moments of incredible failure. I'm the worst, the, my worst day was, it's like first or second year we were here. So I still was not competent in Spanish. And I went to a, a, a hardware store to buy something and it was a big hardware store but it had the it had the the gates no and i thought they were gates that you like pushed in to go in you know those yeah, little like kind of yeah. waist high yeah. gates to go in a store well they were automatic i didn't know that i mean what and first of all why would you put automatic gates in that you know anything that swings <laughs> open and so this kid was running a little kid like three-year-old was running towards me and the mom was saying something i didn't understand what she was saying so i thought she was saying hey my kid's trying to get away so i i keep moving forward that door swings open and like smacks the kid, <laughs> falls down. So if you know anything about Spanish culture, the kids are, you know, they're amazing. Their yeah. kids are it. You can, kids can get away with anything, especially two, three, four, five people love kids. So everyone starts yelling at me. I don't know what they're saying. And I, I don't even know how to explain what happened. You know, and that is, I would probably explain what happened or say, I'm sorry. Or even I would have been a little bit like, you know, I would have, Maybe been this is where okay this is where would the the non humble part of me would have said I probably I might have said if I was angry I said well you should take care, take care of your kid right, you know, have right. him running around the store you know and then but I didn't and this one guy followed me around and like kind of yelled at me I mean it was it was a very shaming oh my gosh bit. and so at that moment you're like I just want to get out of here yeah I'm I done leave. I'm done with this country you know? <laughs> and I felt horrible because you know this poor kid. And then, you know, everyone's mad at me and I'm sure it's happened, but that happens to everybody, you know, and, our, our, our mutual friend. Uh, I hope, I hope he would be okay with me sharing this. He's shared it publicly. So I think it'd be okay. Here. Yeah. Uh, in, in groups bigger than our listening audience. So I think we're okay. Um, but Gary run. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, he lived in Italy for a number of years and he, yeah, yeah. he, he said in the beginning he would have these, uh, I want to get out. I'm, I'm having a bad day. He, you know, he would call it my, I'm, I'm having a, he, he, at first he would say, I'm having a bad Italy day. Yeah. And it would be like, you know, you just something ticked him off or, and then he realized eventually, Oh no, I'm just having a bad day. Like something's happened that's caused anxiety or stress yeah. or whatever else. And I have to learn how to deal with this. And I think that there are so many things when, in the beginning of my time overseas, and I, I probably still do it, but where things happen, um, depending upon my stress level that I react to, and I call it, I'm sick of Sweden, uh, or I'm sick of, you know, whatever context I was in previously. But the reality is, is I'm, I'm just, that caused anxiety or stress. Yeah, yeah sure, sure. I don't like how I feel in that moment. And yeah. so the culture, because I didn't understand the rules, funny, funny, like there were all these things, man, I have so many looking back. So this is, I'm growing in self-awareness, right? So when I was younger <laughs> as a, as a, as a missionary, I, I probably would be like, no, I'm good, man. I, I know how to live overseas. There's no problem. I'm not stressed yeah. out. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't until I got back to, um, to America. I don't want to, Actually, I don't remember at what point it was that I realized this, but I realized um, when I first moved to uh, Central Asia, um, I would 
I would cook, you know, I would cook something. And um, so like if I would have to make like spaghetti sauce from scratch or whatever, cause you couldn't, you can find any pre-made stuff. And so you just, you need to make, and I like cooking. And so it was, it was kind of a challenge or whatever. And so I'd be having students over a big group over. And so I'd be making vat of spaghetti sauce and uh, man, I would, I would find myself in a bad mood all day and just not being able to figure it out. And then I realized, Oh, I'm, I'm stressed about going grocery shopping because I had to, it wasn't just like, okay, I got to go buy meat and I got to get these things done. It was okay. There's a proper way to do this. And I'm never really sure if I'm doing it right. So you got to go to the meat counter with the right number and talk to the right person and (laughs) say, you know, one time I went to buy chicken and um, I told him how many, uh, you know, how much, how much weight I needed in chicken. And they kind of looked at me like I was a moron. And I was like, come on, I know what I'm talking about. And I walked out of there with twice as much chicken as I thought I should have had. And then I realized, oh, I needed nine pounds of chicken and I ordered nine kilos of chicken. Yeah, nice. I have yeah, 20 pounds. That. I have 20 yeah, pounds of chicken 20, as opposed yes. to nine pounds of chicken. Yes. You know, I never ended with 20, but I've, I've doubled. Yeah. Because yeah. 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 I mean, nine pounds of chicken is a heck of a lot of chicken. chicken. So you walk 20 out with pounds. 20 pounds of chicken. It's like, <laughs> what does this guy need here? You know, just different stuff. And so I just remember, I remember realizing I just, I'm just kind of stressed yeah. all the yeah. time. Yeah. And, and that's probably another thing to mention is like, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, stressful job and we're normal people right yeah speak uh, for yourself yeah <laughs> well we're, we're i'm normal. abnormal in a we're lot normal of texans. ways normal texans. um so so well i mean you know we're, we're we're you know we go through the same stuff yeah i so i have a had a professor who's now president of a major seminary so i won't mention his name but he, he was a missionary in in the in europe in Eastern and Western Europe for a while. And uh, I mean, he's, he's a great guy. Amazing. Amazing. So when he told the story, I remember it was kind of a penny dropping for me before, you know, I ever left America, but he talked about, you know, he's just not, he was, they were early in the field. They were not doing real well. Just things were stressful. He's out for a jog and these group of kids started going hop, 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 hop. Now, if you, in Europe, you know, that means like, go, go, right. It means yeah, it's like, yeah. you know, Hey, go, go. They were kind of like, you know, they're just having fun and going, go, go. But he took it as they were making fun of him. So he stopped and yelled at them and gave them the finger because, <laughs> you know, he was so stressed out. And so un, he was the, 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 the level of culture stress, right? The level oh, of culture stress. And then you yeah. throw on ministry stress, throw yeah. on family stress, yeah. all that, you know, made him react in a way that he would not normally and did not want to react, you know? So you, so you're in a very discombobulated state often yeah. especially in early years and you've got to get through that and, and you know continue to move forward and oh, but also I, I think what it means is you've got to give yourself a lot of a, a lot, lot of, of space and grace and time to decompress and time uh to do the things that give you life that was you know i remember sometimes you know, i like to travel so early on it was our second or no it was our third or fourth year and just go into the beach and we stayed in this crappy hotel like apartment it was horrible really we look back at it like, oh, it's not and it was just was it wasn't anything special but i just remember that weeks kind of saved my it felt like it saved my life to go for to the beach for a weekend it was cold you couldn't even go in the water but to be by the beach yeah, yeah. to have time alone the time to just relax you've got you got to do that for yourself you have yeah. to give yourself that space and, you, and if you're leading people who are going through that you got to give them the space to yeah do that, um, well, you know i think one of one of my lowest moments is I think as a human being um, 
it was actually not long ago because my my daughter was learning how to ride her bike. She's seven now. She's probably been riding for two years. So it's about two years ago. And I would say that this time period was probably one of my I was I I was looking back. I you know this is my stories. I think I probably came out of burnout, uh, but just recently, uh, like less than ten months ago. Yeah. Um, maybe less than six months ago. I mean, honestly, I took off some time in, in January, December and January. Cause I was just, I was exhausted, um, mentally and spiritually exhausted, but so not, a, not so much physical, but anyway, so burnout to me is this journey of probably five years, maybe more. My son's nine. It could be nine years, um, in various waves. I, it wasn't constant, but what I would say is there was a stress, an underlying stress that was building up that I was unaware of. And due to some really complex issues of, um, extenuating circumstances that we had in our, in, in our organization yeah. as, as far as, you know, learning how to, I never thought that I would move overseas and become an expert in tax law because, you know, that's yeah. what it required and, yeah. and different stuff. And only in it, Sweden. Only that's true. Only in Sweden, uh, but uh, and and our organization has been nothing but fantastic in all of it. But in the beginning, it was it was very very stressful for me. And um, and looking back, I thought I was the one who had to deal with it all. And I made a lot of mistakes, and so I isolated myself and a bunch of other things. Anyway, all that for context of I just wasn't doing well. And I actually thought about this the other day of how terrible I was doing, and. I was going through this period where I was just snappy. Right. And so anything and everything, I mean, just, I was ready to snap on people. And if you're familiar with Enneagram, uh, I'm an Enneagram eight, which is called the challenger. And so, um, you know, you've, you have experienced a little bit of the prophetic voice that comes out, the challenger in me that comes out. Well, you put the unhealthy side of that, the shadow side of that in a burned out situation. And so we're riding, to school one day, my, my daughter's school, and um, she's struggling to get up this little tiny hill, right? And so I'm riding behind her or next to her saying, come on, Riley, you can do it, you know? And we're taking up more space than we should. And Sweden's really particular about a person being on the, you know, one side or other of, of a particular path. <laughs> and uh, we were taking up both sides of the path. And this old gentleman, probably 75, maybe even 80 years old, was kind of ticked off that we were in his way and he was riding up behind us. So he kind of dings his bell, which is normal practice. And my daughter trying to figure out which way to go because she's young, can't make decisions, kind of goes over to the wrong side. And I say, Riley, come over here. So he's even more frustrating. So as he's going by mutters under his voice, you know, parents can't, you know, teach their kids how to ride a bike in a proper way, you know, and he kind of, you know, <laughs> speeds off. Well, that was the worst thing he could have said to me because here's my challenger. And part of my personality is that, that if I feel someone who is under my protection has been unjustly has, I, I get real protective, right? So it goes for my staff. It goes for just anybody that I feel an injustice is now. Yeah. Uh -huh. I, my name is Barrett, which means bear like protector and uh -huh. that bear like protector turned on, but I was burned out. Yeah. And so I yell out, are you kidding me in English? Cause I was just yeah. like, what? Yeah. And so I sped up to him. <laughs> And I start writing next to him and I start, what's your problem, man? She's six years old. Like she's learning yeah. how to ride a bike. Just give her some patience. I was like, we weren't in your, you know, and I just went off on him and he kind of looked at me. He was like, he was, 
like, he was like, you're crazy. Get away from me. He was just like, what are, what are you doing? Because Swedes are not confrontational at all. Yeah, and Grant, yeah. I've told this to, to many people in yeah. Sweden. And so I want all my Swedish friends who listen, um, know that, that, you know, I have felt affirmed in you and that that guy shouldn't have said that. I think you were all were probably very scared of me when I, you know, <laughs> but, but they were, my daughter experienced injustice there he was out of line to have said that yeah but look at the time my son was like he was so embarrassed he's like dad would you please stop doing stuff like that you're just and at the time i was like look i'm gonna defend my daughter i'm gonna you know all this yeah. stuff. and as i look back now i look out man i was i was burned out yeah. and i was frazzled and part of it it wasn't just culture it was um i want to be successful you know, so I, those, if you, those of you at home, I have air quotes um, and whatever I, I wanted to build my kingdom. I wanted to be successful through the Lord. I wanted, but I also had an idea of what I wanted to see. And were we seeing that? I don't know, but there was all these stresses, both kind of from my family of origin, from my own personal junk, you know, and you're, you know, you always hear the adage overseas brings out the worst in you. And at the end of the day, what it is, I think what I've come to the conclusion it's not being, it's not the overseas part that brings out the worst in you. It's that all of your false supports, yeah. your mechanisms of coping that you've learned how to deal with get taken away. Yeah. yeah. So the, the way that I describe it is it's like your whole life, you've been standing in a crowded, you know, like your Times Square standing next to an emptied, uh, an emptying subway in yep. rush hour and people are rushing by you. And your whole life you've had, you know when it's coming and you've had two legs planted. Yeah. Okay. But when you move overseas, what happens is that the rules have changed. So now without realizing it, you only have one foot planted. Yeah. And so when the same thing that you used to be able to take, hits up against you, all of a sudden, everything, you get knocked to your rear end. Yep. And, uh, and that's I think exactly that that's right. what, you know, so here I was, a, gosh, well, if I've, I've been overseas almost 20 years. Um, so this would have been 17 years into being overseas. One would have thought that I was, I was quote unquote successful living overseas. And really at the end of the day, what I was unsuccessful at is, is not necessarily living overseas. I was unsuccessful at walking in the spirit. Of yep. knowing myself, of giving my flesh over to the Lord. And and as I reflect of what does it take to be successful overseas, it's the same thing that it takes to be successful in the US, but it is a surrendered heart to the Lord. It's walking in his spirit, it's being self-aware, it's taking your junk to him and going, you know, repenting every day and, and realizing, you know, this, that, and the other thing. So anyway, yeah, I, there's my there's my worst moment. I just let that was great. the whole I mean, world well, know. <laughs> I think you're, you're dead on. That's what it is, is you don't have those comforts, those things you used to know how to cope yeah. with yourself. And I, th I think that's exactly uh, what happens. Um, and you have to either have to go turn more, more and more and more and more towards, towards Christ and, 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 and work in the power of the Holy Spirit and more dependence on, on, on that. Or sometimes you do have to find other ways to cope. Whether it's you know chasing after a Swedish guy or you know what whatever you know um, not recommended yeah not, not recommended, recommended. <laughs> not recommended but um but you know but I think that's also part of our that's part of our our journey our pilgrimage as it is as humans you know yeah I but I, th I think that's also what Christ went through 
in his journey on earth, it was the learning of obedience that he couldn't yeah. have his coping mechanism, if you will, was full dependence upon the spirit and being connected to the father. Yeah. It was, it was that relationship. It was Jesus knowing from where he had come and where he was going, stooped down and washed his disciples feet. You, you can't do that unless you're secure in who you are and who yeah. in his relationship with the Lord and or relationship with the father. And I, I, I think that's the same for the missionary is you can't, you can't do the mission, missionary task well without learning that complete dependence upon him. Now, yeah. I, I don't, th there's a lot of people who do it really well. I'm not sure that I'm necessarily one of them, but there is a reality that everyone at every point has that challenge because that's the endeavor that everyone is, is on is will I surrender to the spirit? Will I give over, my quote unquote rights or my self perceived rights. And that was, you know, how many times have I been, have, have I lived my life and I want to take up my right to defend justice or whatever else I feel offended for whatever reason, culturally, uh, and maybe, maybe it's correct and maybe it's perceived. And the Lord calls us to, will you give up your rights? Yeah, this is exactly right. I, I think, I mean, honestly, this, this, what you just said is, is, is gold uh, on, a, on a lot of levels about what, who we are as Christians and what really works, uh, what, what, what God's working in us. I think that's, um, we're all headed in that direction of being stripped of what, um, for, to full dependence and not because, uh, you know, I think it's, to be important to be clear, not, not full dependence as in some kind of, um, you know, we say dependence, it sounds sometimes it can be sound bad, you know, as is almost slavery or submission in a bad sense, but it's full, full uh, submission, full dependence, because that's freedom. Mm -hmm. Because then that is the freedom to leave behind all this stuff that's actually gunking us up and, me and messing up relationships and, and our own ability to understand who we are and who God is. And, and, and this, that's where we're all, we're all going to, to go back to you too. If you want to kiss the sky, you better learn how to kneel. Right. So yeah, if you want, right. if you want to really know what true joy is, you need to be on your knees in prayer, but also in submission to, you know, to, to who the real, who real love is and what real love is. So I think, yeah, I think that's, such that's a hard. That's that, really yeah. hard. But I, you know, it's interesting. Cause I, I I think of all of the times that I've had the most meaningful ministry and it's the times where now I am the same person entering into every conversation that I have in the sense that I'm bringing with me the, the gifts and tools that, that God's given me and, or that I picked up along the way. So maybe some, you know, new method or perception, but, but otherwise I'm pretty much the same person. Yeah. But I have conversations all the time that are strikingly different. And part of it is, am I entering it? I, some of the greatest and sweetest times of ministry that I've had have been ones where I've entered it going, God, I am scared out of my wits or God, yeah. I have no clue how to respond. God, if you don't help me here, I'm toast, you know, and all these different things. And how many times over the years has some, you know, student or a friend that I've talked to said, Hey, you said this. And I'm like, I said that. And, you know, but if you think yeah. back to a conversation that I, at that point, I think I was probably 
underneath my breath shortly before that going, Lord, I have no idea how to answer yeah. this, but you do. And would you, and then if I think about all the times I was in, we were doing this, um, <clears throat> sometimes we'll go out with a camera and interview students and, you know, we'll just, um, we're just doing a little bit of an experiment today. You know, we'll send you the results or whatever. And, uh, and so we do. And one time we were, we were doing it and uh, with a video of this one guy and he and I kind of got into a little bit of a, a little bit of a, an argument. And, uh, I, I had this, uh, now I would say from a apologetic standpoint, I had the better argument, but I, I lost because I lost him and I offended him yeah. greatly with how piercing my argument was. And, uh, I actually, because I had his email, I, I emailed him back and I said, look, I, I did nothing to represent the Jesus I was telling you about today. And uh, I'm sorry for that. I never heard from him, but I, I remember those times. It's, you know, that, so that even that posture of how am I going into this conversation or yeah. how am I living my life? Um, I think one of the, one of the biggest enemies that we have is familiarity. So it goes back to the whole question of, are you, are you learning yeah. familiarity? And I think this applies to any context. Um, when I assume, and when I go back to Texas, I know how this is played. Yeah. I don't know how it's played because oh. every person that I'm in front of or every situation is a little bit different. I need to have powers of observation open, but I need to have my dependence upon the spirit complete. Uh, and there, there's a huge difference uh, between, between those. So I don't know, man, it's uh, I know nothing. Well, parenting makes me feel more incompetent as a human being, Holy but, cow. but uh, yeah. being a missionary is also very humbling as well. Yeah. We, we, we shouldn't we should never get into my parenting advice yeah me either for me either <laughs> we tell our kids we joke around we tell our kids sometimes uh we're, we're saving money when you turn 18 you can go to college or get counseling but we can't yeah. pay for both <laughs> yeah. you, you choose you choose yeah so i think this was a good good conversation we talked about incarnation we talked about humility we talked about perseverance patience we talked about reliance on the holy spirit uh taking care of yourself yeah those things so i think those are i think those are some good things that i would recommend anyone new on the field or thinking about going on the field or uh on the field for many years on the field yeah yeah for many years if if you had if you had, how would you do Spain differently if you were just entering today, knowing what you know today? Wow. I think I probably wouldn't have had a team mm. the first couple of years. We, we had to lead a team. And the, the first year, it, it, it wasn't a bad situation, but we just had a lot of people. And so that, that kept us away from um, we learned stuff, but we, we didn't learn language as quick as we could have. Okay. Probably could have learned language, had been fluent. So I, th I think that having to um, kind of come in and, and, and hit the ground running, so to speak, because the way we, we did it um, was not a, probably not a good idea. Why do you think language is important, right? Because that's a big debate. Yeah. We're, we're in a global world. Lots of people speak English, especially university students. Yeah, I know Spain's Spain. a little bit. You're right. I know Spain's, Spain's very a different. Bit different, but Spain's very different. If you don't speak Spanish, you're in trouble. Uh, number one, and number two, because that's I think I mean I think there's probably some context. I think if you're 
going to plant an international church. Maybe you don't. But then, but then I think at the end of the day, you still look weird maybe sometimes when the, the, the culture looks at you and goes, oh, you haven't learned the language. Yeah. But when you learn the language, you say a lot about the gospel, I think. Mm-hmm. That, 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 you know, even if you don't do it necessarily, because not everyone's going to get, there's some people who are amazing at learning languages. And right. there's some people who, you know, are going to struggle more, you know. And then so, there's me. Yeah. Well, and then there's different, there's, there's, there's some languages that are just really hard too. Yeah, I mean, right. Spanish is pretty simple, pretty easy to learn from an English standpoint. Uh, but I think when you take that effort, even if it's imperfect, I think most people really appreciate it and it opens up doors and um, it's really hard to, I mean, I understand there's certain places that maybe not as, as important to learn language because of the, the context, the culture, what you're doing. So I'm not saying it's a general but I think it's yeah. a, it's it's a, it's not a rule for every place every time, but it's, as a general rule, I don't I, I don't know, right? So if we're supposed to be incarnational, um, and I know that there's debate about, among that, and what I would say is those who think that you shouldn't have to be incarnational are just wrong. Yeah. But um, <laughs> I mean, unless you're but, yeah, unless you're you're in a city, you're in a place because you're doing ministry in another place that's sending out you know information, or you just happen to have to. I, I, yeah, I can understand maybe not have to. Learn. Even then, in your ministry, you still have to be incarnational, right? So you got to. So it doesn't matter if you, okay, if if you're living in, I don't know, Belgium, but your target audience is Congolese. Yeah. Be somehow you have to figure out how to communicate, right? So because yeah. I, I think that's the thing is Jesus didn't just come on Earth and speak heavenly language. He spoke. He learned Aramaic and Hebrew he had to learn that language. That's part of the incarnation is, is the learning of language. Um, I had an Afghan once tell me, I think I may have shared it on this podcast before, but an Afghan once tell me that um, learn another language, earn another soul. Yeah, that's a great and, and that's such a great proverb because what he was saying with that is that contained within language is a culture struggles. And if you want to understand a people, then you want, you have to understand its struggles. Right. And so you understand its mindset, you understand. And so in the, in the acquisition of language, you have to wrestle with nuance and nuance is there because of the lives that have been lived. Right. And so, you know, all these different things, it's not a perfect recipe, but it is one in which I think in the endeavor of trying to acquire a language and struggle with and making mistakes, one learns, okay, this is, this is what I have to do. One also understands the people that you're trying to communicate with. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, so if you're communicating with an American, you learn the power. Why do, why do America, Americans overstate things, right? We exaggerate and all these things. If you reflect on that, and I, I actually haven't really reflected on that as to why we do that, but, but we have big personalities if, if, if nothing else, or, you know, Swedes are reserved or, you know, whatever else it might be. There are, there are lessons you learn in a language that help you understand a people and it's heart. Uh, And I think Jesus had to understand that. I think, you know, he was formed by that and he, in order to communicate, he had to pick his words wisely. Uh, And so I think that's part of, I personally think that that's part of the, and language doesn't have, just have to be learning a foreign language going from Texas to New York. Um, like New Yorkers say, 
you have to stand online. They don't say, say in line. Yeah, so it's a different stuff. preposition. I'm not saying that you have to learn that, but yeah. you definitely stick out if you're in New York as not a native New Yorker and not that you should always try to look like a native New Yorker. But there are examples of that where you just have to try to figure out how, yeah. what is the best way to communicate? And it's not just words. It's the yeah. fears, hopes, and dreams of a, of a people. Yeah. And that, and that's, so, okay, th so that's another question right there. When, when you, when you, I, I, I agree hundred percent with you. Um, but there's a, there's a question about incarnation, right? Because the incarnation uh, can only go so far. I mean, I think we right. have to, we have to be real careful. Some people can do go pretty far and do really well with that. Other people, you know, like for instance, I, I, I don't think I need to, leave behind my identity as someone from Texas necessarily no. uh, because I'm in Spain. Um, I think at one point I used to think that I need to almost become to where I am indistinguishable. What I need to do is build a heart that's for Spain. And I, I think that's, I think maybe that's another thing we didn't mention is like, but this, I think like what you got into this idea of a heart or a soul, but you kind of have to have a heart that beats for the people. Yeah. You know, and that's just core to ministry, but, but particularly, and so I found it's easier to be here because I love, I love people. I love yeah. these people. I love this country. I love, um, you know, uh, these are amazing people as a culture. Um, but, I, but, I, but the, the reality that you can't go all the way maybe, but, uh, and you probably shouldn't, but yeah. so it's good. I can still reflect my own Texas culture and identity and, but also reflect the part of me that's become Spanish. Yeah. Because now, because there is a part of me that has become Spanish. I don't know how much of it is, uh, you know, and, and for different people, that's probably a different, you know, different place. But um, we're, we're, and maybe this is where we go back to pilgrimage. We're on this, we're no longer, we're exiles. I mean, right. what's yeah. the other thing we've learned is we are, we are truly exiles. I don't really, as much as I love Texas and Andalusia and Spain, I don't really belong. I belong in some way. I'm still trying to figure this out. Maybe I belong in many ways, but not, I don't belong in one place anymore. You know, there's a, there's a, a really great guy that I've gotten to know uh, through my seminary and uh, <clears throat> he was, grew up as a third K or a, he grew up as a missionary kid. Yeah. And culture, uh, you know, he's, kid, yeah. he's uh, almost 40 years old and you know, three kids and in his career and he would confess that he, never really feels like he fits in until he's around a, a bunch of other third culture yeah. kids. And uh, I think there's a reality there. It's kind of like Frodo, right? At the, at the end of Lord of the Rings, he doesn't really fit in anymore. Yeah. He, you know, the wounds that have left a scar, the way it gets presented in the movie, it's this kind of sad thing, but I don't, I don't necessarily, it just is, it is a just is thing. Like Frodo's life was worth it, but yeah. he can't just go back and pretend that everything is all right in the Shire, but he doesn't begrudge everyone else for feeling that. It's just yeah. the life that, that he knows it. And in some sense, I think for us, when you, when you learn another language or you adapt to another culture, you're, you're not going to ever, it's what Joe Schlee said when he was on here. Yeah. Well, I, I didn't go back to America. I went to America because yeah. I, I'm not the same and America's not the same. And yeah. And, and I think that that's a very true statement. You do acquire the culture, you do adapt to the culture, but you'll, you know, there's a great, oh man, you should read this book. It's a total just memoir, not spiritual at all, but it's a great book. It's called, I'll Never Be French No Matter What I Do. <laughs> yeah. And it's about this guy who moves to Brit Brittany in, uh, in the East Coast of France. And, uh, and uh, his, it's his story of trying to become French because he loves it so much and all of his failures, but realizing 
that's okay. And they accept me for that. They accept me for being American in this French context. I have these wonderful deep relationships, but it's okay that I'm still American. Like I, I don't, I, I'm not looking to become completely French. Yeah. Um, but now I would say if he never went there and learned the language that he would, he would be untrustworthy in that context. And so I think that there's, there is that balance there and there's that difficult thing. And it is that pilgrimage sojourning that you left your front door and you won't return the same person, yeah. but you're neither the same person. You're not the same person who left Belgium or wherever it was. Why is but Belgium's come up twice today? I don't know. Time for some Belgian chocolate or waffles or French fries yeah. or something. Ooh, some French fries. Uh, or, or other Belgian products that are wonderful. There might be, there might be something. <laughs> <laughs> so, so anyway, so I don't know. I do, but I do think that there is that sense of, you know, if, if, if there comes a day when, when and if we return to the U.S., um, I, I won't be going back. I'm not the same person. I recognize yeah. it when I go back now. I'm, I'm not. I don't think and do the same way I did. Oh no. Um, yeah. For better or worse, but I, but it is, and I think for the most part, the better. Um, yeah. So go, go, going to the grocery store is an overwhelming experience in America. Oh my gosh. When I first came back, <laughs> when I first came back from uh, Central Asia, right? So I had one type of chip yeah. that I could get in soon. Because this is, you know, it, it was 10 years after independence from the Soviet Union, but still yeah. things had not still. really developed a whole lot. So there was one type of chip that I could get, salted plain. That's it. And so I come back like the 2nd of July and on the 4th of July, my family gets together and we're having the 4th of July barbecue. And I'm like, hey, you know what? We need some more chips. Barrett, can you go to Super Walmart and get us some chips? And I thought, sure, no problem. I, I literally, I froze. I didn't know what to do. I, I counted 250 same. choices that I had. Exact same and I was just like, I can't, I can't. I called up my mom. I was like, just tell me what to get because I can't make this decision. Yeah, I don't know what you want. So there's, I don't even, I can't even find the chips. Yeah, which, which is interesting. So we've talked about anxiety and we, we, uh, we can close up soon here. But one thing that I've been thinking about lately actually revolves around that is, is that there is actually a paralysis and an anxiety that occurs in our world today because we have so much choice. Yeah, yeah. There, there's so much variety and so much choice that people are actually, there's a lot of anxiety that's occurring because of it. So it happens with Netflix. Who do I choose? Netflix, Hulu, you know, Amazon, whatever else. Uh, but also just the amount of variety there is in food and career choices and everything else um, really is producing a lot of anxiety in people. There's a, this is a shout out to Danny, uh, our Camino friend. Uh, but there's a book called by Zygmunt Bauman by called Postmodernity and its Discontents, <laughs> and he he talks a little bit about that. That you know, and he this is writing a while ago now, maybe 20 years ago. But yeah. uh, the the over consumerism that we face and have, it's so many choices, so many things we could do. Uh, it creates it creates all kinds of anxiety and stress. Be, yeah. So, so I think that's actually uh, maybe a, a, a good place to close with anxiety and stress, but actually no, but, but say, <laughs> yeah, saying yeah. this, uh, one thing that's been a theme of mine that I think carries through, and this is what it means to be successful as a missionary in any given context or a follower of Jesus, a pilgrim on pilgrimage in the way of Jesus. Um, and that is that he says, cast all your burdens on me for my yoke is easy and my burden yeah. is light. Yeah. And there's something in Jesus that is peace producing. It is on the trajectory of peace. 
and or as as another shout out to Danny, he told me the other day we were talking, and he said, uh, "Am I trending towards peace?" And there there is that sense there that if if we are walking with him, that anxiety lessens not because the choices lessen, but because we trust and we know that he is good, right? So we're creating new patterns, and that's that's ultimately the kingdom coming. So I've actually transformed in a lot of some of my thinking in, in recent years as what I think successful ministry is. And part of what I've been wanting, talking to my staff some about, but I want to talk more about within our small organization here in Sweden, but is that are we being uh, harbors of peace in the chaos and anxiety of the world? Yep. Um, is that what we are is that what we're trending towards? Is that what we're traject uh, the trajectory of of what we're doing? Uh, in that we're giving to others is the person of Jesus Christ and creating peace in the place that they're at. Because I I know that I need it, and when I and I know there's such a difference in my life when I'm experiencing that and when I'm not experiencing that when I'm getting caught up by the world. So there's that. If if we think of in terms of culture, right? There's the the culture of. Um, okay, I'm going to become Swedish or I'm going to stay American. And I can't do either one of those. I have to become something new. Yeah. And the journey of the Christian is, is I can't stay non-Christian and I can't swing the pendulum so far. I have to become something new. I, I, that's where the, that my analogy breaks down. Uh, but, but I do have to become something new, that we're a new creation in Christ Jesus. Yeah. And I, I'm fairly convinced that some of that new creation part, a big part of it is, a sense of peace in the middle of chaos. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Well, sir, uh, let's call it quits. That's good. I think it was a good conversation. Always a pleasure. <laughs> what are Likewise. you, uh, y'all have any big plans for the weekend? Oh, uh, sit, sit around the house, start gun, inside. <laughs> dark, dark gun war. I think <laughs> dark gun war. Yeah. Yeah. Nerf, nerf. Yeah, nice. Yeah. That's violence pretty, yeah <laughs> that's what you do <laughs> uh-oh garrick and his family have turned into violence in, the, in their home they've been cooped up too long oh that sounds fun man well you, you guys got anything big you know every we we uh we do pizza every friday night homemade pizza so we're making uh pizza tonight and my son's got some uh football and stuff like that this weekend so we'll we'll be nice. doing some of that so but tomorrow we're just taking it easy i'm trying not to I'm going to sit around and read some books. It's going to be wonderful. That was nice. Yeah. Well, dude, I hope cool. you have a great weekend. Uh, see until you, man. we see you again. Adios.